Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're happy that you've joined us today and are ready to study the Bible with us. We're going to answer as many of your questions as we can today. Uh, We may have some first-time viewers that wonder what Know Your Bible is all about Uh, It's about getting to know our Bible, and the way we do that is let viewers tell us what they'd like us to talk about, and we just answer questions as fast as we can, and try to help us know our Bible as well as we can. So, there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen, you can use those anytime, give us a question, uh, whatever you've always wondered, or maybe something we say today will stir a question in your mind. Uh, be sure to ask it and let us have a have a crack at it. So we'll answer questions. You ask you ask the questions, we'll answer them. Phone number, website, anytime. Toby Levering, good morning. Good morning, Toby's Steve. Toby's back, are you? and I'm great. Studied up and ready to go here. Got some good ones this week, but we've got a good one for our viewers first. So here's your question. Uh, Rahab, famous Old Testament character. Uh, how did she identify her house? For the army. She had to keep her house safe uh, when the Israelites attacked. Uh, How did she identify her house? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you know a little Old Testament trivia. All right, Toby's got number one today, so fire us off here. Uh, Well, (laughs) the question is, how can you teach the love of God and eternal hell? I don't believe in eternal hell. Okay, well, uh, that's that's interesting to know. the, I don't think that the love of God and teaching about eternal hell are mutually exclusive. I think there's a reason that God's very clear and specific about the reality of hell. Uh, the reason is, is because He's our Father and He does love us. Uh, many years ago, we had a, a chimenea on our back deck, and occasionally when the weather was nice, I'd put a few uh, sticks of wood in there and light the fire. And my children were younger then, and so as I did that, I would show them how I started the fire, and then I'd warn them. I'd say, now, don't touch this when the fire's going. It's hot, and don't play around it, because if you fall into it, you'll burn yourself. Well, was I being unloving by telling them about the reality of the fire? Not at all. I, I love them. I wanted to keep them out of it. I, I wanted them to recognize the danger that was there. Um, they don't understand that, and they don't understand fully how badly it could hurt them. Well, to a much greater degree, our Father loves us, and uh, He knows that the reality of hell, and the reality of hell is eternal separation from God. Uh, And the reason that is is because uh, God can't be in the presence of sin. So if a person has sin and it's not uh, atoned for uh, through Jesus Christ, uh, there's only one option, which is eternal hell. Now, to be very clear, God loves us so much and He's done everything in the world to keep us away from the fire. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's up to us to choose whether we're going to stay out of it or not. 
that's why he's so clear. That's why the Bible's so clear. Uh, not only uh, does God teach about it, but his son, that's why he came to keep us from it. And he warned us many times. Let's look at some scriptures uh, that you can look up on your own, but these will be on the screen. Matthew 10:28. Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew chapter 13, verse 50, And throw them into the fiery furnace, and that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I believe there's one more, Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, this is speaking of the judgment day, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay? So hell is a reality. Uh, the reason it's a reality uh, is because our sin cannot be in the presence of God. And so uh, God's been done absolutely the most loving thing He can do, uh, which is to send His, His Son to keep us from hell. And you probably know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But the, the verse following, verse 17, For God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but to save the world. He, he wants the whole world to be kept out of hell. Uh, but that final decision is in our hands. It's up to us. So he's warned us very clearly, very specifically. When you read the Bible, you understand the reality of hell and what's been done for you and for me to keep us out of it. So I hope that helps answer uh, and clarifies a little bit in your understanding. Okay. Good, good uh, explanation there, and I expanded your analogy a little bit while you were answering there. Uh, I thought you created that chimney fire for a purpose, mm -hmm. and the purpose was not to burn your children. Right. The purpose was another purpose. Well, that verse you read, God said he created hell for the devil and his angels. Uh, he didn't create it for us, mm -hmm. uh, but if we choose to go the way of the devil and angels, we, yeah. we can we can go that way, but that's well, good. Uh, some people think, well, how could he create hell for to burn people in? No, he right. didn't create it for us. Uh, we can choose to go there if we want, but <coughs> he didn't create it for us. Okay, that's so good. That, that's good. There's, put that in your notes. Expanded analogy. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a question about Proverbs. Proverbs eight. Who is she? A uh, viewer is reading Proverbs 8, and it refers to she all the time saying things. Uh, actually, it's not just chapter 8, it's chapter 7 also. And the theme of Proverbs is how to live life, and you either do it by being wise or foolish. Okay. Now, the book of Proverbs is a book of poetry. It's Hebrew poetry. And one thing that you do in poetry sometimes is you personify something. Uh, something you want to illustrate, you make it seem like a person. You make it a person. Well, that's exactly what the writer of Proverbs did in chapter 7 and chapter 8. He's got two women, uh, one in chapter 7 and one in chapter 8. And one is foolishness and one is wisdom. And in chapter 7, it's the foolishness, and she's portrayed as an evil woman, an adulteress. And foolishness wants you to fall into her ways in the personification. Let me read just a few verses, verse 21. With persuasive words, she led him astray. 
she seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces it. Uh, and then foolishness says, now then, my sons, oh no, the writer of Proverbs says, now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Don't let her, don't let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. So he pictures foolishness as a woman. Then in chapter 8, he pictures wisdom as a woman, a good woman. And it starts out in chapter 8, does not wisdom call out? And over in verse uh, 12, it says, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. So wisdom is calling us live a wise life, make good choices. <clears throat> Foolishness is calling us uh, do evil things. Come to me and it'll really feel good. So that's the personification of wisdom and foolishness. And that's why it uses the term she, uh, two different women in Hebrew poetry. So interesting question. All right. A question about unleavened bread. What is unleavened bread? And my answer to that is this bread without leaven. I mean, clearly. <laughs> no, uh, I understand there's a little bit of confusion because a lot of the time in our world today, we don't partake of unleavened bread. Um, bread without yeast, bread that doesn't rise, it doesn't, uh, the normal way of partaking of bread. But there was, uh, unleavened bread was partaken uh, of for a reason. And it was to remind them of what God has had done. This reason is found in Deuteronomy chapter 16. This won't be on the screen, so if you care to study it out, uh, write this down. Deuteronomy 16, verse 3. And uh, there God, uh, through Moses, is explaining the requirements of the feast of the Passover. And he says, uh, which was the, the uh, commemoration of when God delivered Egypt out of uh, Israel out of Egypt, uh, and he did so in such great haste that they basically got up in the middle of the night and they had no time uh, to uh, even, uh, well, let me just read the verse. Do not eat the Passover with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. So uh, certainly they could make what we would call normal bread, but the bread of without yeast, the unleavened bread, was the bread of affliction. It was to remind them what they had been delivered from. Humans are easily uh, prone to forget, and so the unleavened bread was used to remind them of how God had worked in the story. And so this is the same kind of bread that Jesus would have eaten and partaken of in the Passover and the same type of bread that he was using when he established what we call the Lord's Supper. And uh, so we partake of that uh, today under the New Testament as part of our worship to God. Uh, we partake of that with unleavened bread uh, to remind us what Jesus did for us and what he delivered us from. So unleavened bread is simply bread without leaven or yeast, and there's a meaning and a reason behind it, both in the Old Covenant and in the New. I hope that helps you. 
All right. We study the Bible with you each week for 30 minutes and answer a few questions, as many as we can, but we only get seven or eight or so in each week. So we get a little bit of Bible knowledge covered, but there's a whole lot more in the Bible. And we know that, and we realize that to know your Bible, you're going to have to spend a little time uh, outside of this program, perhaps. So we advocate home Bible study. And we know a lot of our Viewers already do that and are good Bible students and study all the time. But we also know we've got a lot of viewers who watch this program. But other than that, have never got in the habit of studying their Bible or reading their Bible. And we know it's hard to get started sometimes. So we want to help you, and we've got some tools that we think will help you. Uh, they're absolutely free of charge. If you want to study the Bible and know it a little bit better, here are some ways to do it. This course has got eight lessons in it. Good introduction to the Bible. Uh, once you get through that one, we've got some other courses that uh, get you into more detail and take a little bit longer to get through, but you can keep studying the Bible for a long time. Uh, we know that some people uh, would rather do things online, so we've got some online courses you can get by logging on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org. Uh, tell them you'd like that free course, and you can start studying today on your phone, your tablet, PC, uh, anywhere you are. You can do a Bible lesson whenever you've got time to do one, and don't have to wait for the mailman to come. Uh, so all those ways we've got to study the Bible. Phone number, website on the screen. Use those anytime. Tell us you'd like a free course, and we'll get one started for you, and you can study the Bible with us. All right, we've got a question about Churches of Christ. Why do Churches of Christ call themselves non-denominational? Well, this program is produced by a Church of Christ, the Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas. And we are supported by other Churches of Christ across the viewing area in the country. So we mention that every once in a while. And we consider ourselves non-denominational. This viewer wants to know why. Well couple of reasons. Number one, we think we are non-denominational. And number two, we want to be non-denominational. We don't want to be separated by a name and be different than the Bible church. We just want to be Bible Christians. And we want to be the church that belongs to Christ. Uh, so that's why we consider ourselves non-denominational. Now let's understand a little bit about what denominational means. Let's look at one definition from a dictionary. A religious denomination is a subgroup within a religion that operates under a common name, tradition, and identity. Okay, so here's the broadest definition. Within a religion, Christianity or whatever, uh, if there's a subgroup that picks a common name, denominates themselves, that's what that means, uh, has a common tradition and has a common identity, then they're a denomination. Okay, uh, in that sense, you could maybe call the Churches of Christ a denomination. We've got a, a common name, uh, we have some the same tradition, and we have kind of a common identity. But, all the other characteristics of a, what makes a denomination we don't have. We don't have any headquarters. Uh, you can't 
find the headquarters of the Churches of Christ. Uh, you can't look it up online or find it or go to it. Uh, you can't find a creed of the Churches of Christ. Uh, we have sometimes on our website, we'll have a statement of faith uh, that just kind of summarizes what we believe about the Bible. Uh, but there is no common agreed to or enforced creed. And there's no hierarchy above the local congregation. Uh, there's no bishops or overseers or uh, cardinals or anything else telling churches of Christ what they can do. Uh, the term we use for that, and the technical term, is autonomous. And we, I think we mentioned that in our opening or closing one. Churches of Christ are autonomous. That means each congregation is self-governing. Uh, there's no higher authority. So when I advertise or talk about the Derby Church of Christ, the Wellington Church of Christ in just a moment, uh, the Northside Church of Christ can't tell them what to do. Uh, they are people who just want to be Bible Christians. Uh, they agree with the tradition and identity of churches of Christ to some degree, so they put that on their sign out front, uh, but they're not under the control of anybody else. So uh, in that sense, we're non-denominational, and we want to be non-denominational. Our plea is unity. Our plea is let's just study the Bible and do what it says. Uh, let's do Bible things in Bible ways and call Bible things by Bible names. And uh, we think that's the safest way. In fact, we think it's the only way for Christians to ever be unified is to quit denominating ourselves. Uh, the term Churches of Christ is found in Romans 16, 16, when Paul uh, was writing to the church in Rome. And he said, all the churches of Christ salute you, say hi. So he traveled to all of these non-denominational churches and he sent their greetings to the church in Rome. So uh, we just use that term and say we're the church that belongs to Christ and uh, let's leave it at that and not be a denomination. So hope that helps you understand what the term non-denominational means and what the churches of Christ are kind of about in that area. Okay, good answer. A question now about friends. Uh, someone asks or states this, some of my friends drink. Is it wrong for me to have them over for games and try to have a good influence on them and still be a good Christian? Well, I appreciate your heart. I think it's in the right place. Jesus said you're the, to be the salt and the light of the world. And I, I think I can only answer your question uh, based on, uh, it depends, really. It uh, depends on some variables that I don't know. Uh, when you say you're trying to invite them over, I, I'm going to assume that you're a follower of Christ and you're not inviting them over and saying, yeah, you know, bring a keg on over. You can just uh, drink at my house. I don't think that would be wise. Uh, but if you're trying to give them an alternative place, an environment, if you're inviting them to your house, you control the environment and uh, a way to have fun and to enjoy life and to have uh you know, just enjoy time with your friends, hanging out together. I think that's fine, and I, probably a good thing. Uh, you, you know, Christians should be salt and light. We should, uh, as being salt and light, we show uh, alternatives to living in the darkness. So I think that's fine, as long as you're not partaking in uh, dark behaviors, evil behaviors, and and that's the area where you have to be careful. Um, 
if you were to ask me, well, could I go over to their house if they're having a, a big party and, and there's all, be all sorts of bad stuff there, and could, should I go over there and try to influence that? Eh, I would warn you a little more against that because there you have less influence in that environment. They control the uh, what happens in that environment, what's allowed and what's not. And so when you go into it, uh, some people might, even if you're not doing anything, they might say, well, you know, there, there's, I'll just assume your name's Joe. <laughs> there's old Joe, he's okay with this, you know, and he's a good Christian, goes to church, so must be okay with God. Um, we can sort of, people assume our uh, uh, being okay with things if we just uh, silently stand there and they assume that we're consenting with that. We may not be. So be careful, uh, use wisdom and discretion. Uh, Christians are to be the salt and light of the world. That means we're the influencers, not the influencees. Uh, the best visual I give is a well-known one, uh, but it's the difference between the thermostat and the thermometer. A thermos, the thermometer simply reflects the temperature of the room. This, they heat this room up to 90 degrees. A thermometer will simply say 90 degrees. It's simply going to show it's already there. Uh, but a thermostat is uh, something on the wall, and if it's 90 degrees in this room, and says, oh, man, it's getting hot. Uh, you go over to the thermometer. Thermometer changes the temperature of the room. That's what I would say. Uh, as a follower of Christ, we need to be people who change the temperature of the room. So be careful with your friends. Uh, scripture is very clear that they can have a strong influence in a negative way uh, if we don't pay attention to it. First Corinthians 15:33 says, "Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good." character. So use wisdom, use discretion. I think it would be fine to invite them into your world, share them with them, your, your life, your light, your hope. Uh, that's a fine thing to do, but be very careful about being influenced in the wrong direction as well. Hope that helps you. All right. Viewer says, what does the Bible teach about what we can eat or not eat? Well, depends when you were born. It says two different things about what we can eat or not eat. And that's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you were born before Jesus' time, or during Jesus' time, you lived under the Old Testament law, and the Bible, the Old Testament part of the Bible, had all kinds of diet rules. Don't eat this, you can't eat this, but you can't eat that. That was called clean and unclean, uh, mainly to do with safety and health, but for some other reasons, God picked things and said, that's clean, that's unclean. Uh, so it was very detailed, very specific, and people watched it very closely. Uh, don't eat that, eat that, and you're pleased God. Now, if you were born after Jesus' time, uh, you live under the New Testament law, if you're a follower of his. And so Christians that lived in that age, uh, who had been raised under the old law, had a little problem with this. Uh, they th thought maybe they ought to be keeping that old law, uh, but they didn't have to. And a lot of Paul's writings are about that. And we're going to look at a couple of verses that settle it. And, and imagine yourself somebody that was raised under the Old Testament law. You grew up a Jew, and then you converted to Christianity when you heard about Jesus. And you wondered if I should be keeping the old dietary laws. Here's what Paul said about it. 
uh, well, the first we'll read what Jesus said about it in Mark chapter 7, verses 17 to 19. Jesus said, don't you see that nothing that enters man from the outside can make him unclean? And Mark says in parentheses, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. All right. Then in Colossians 2.16, Paul said this, let no one judge you about food or drink. So that's what the Bible says about what we can eat or not eat. If you lived under the Old Testament, or if you're still trying to live under the Old Testament, then you've got to follow all the diet rules. If you understand that you live under the New Testament, and as a Christian, uh, you don't have to worry about what you eat, and don't let anybody judge you about what you eat. That's what the Bible says about diet. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ, like I mentioned a while ago. And we like to thank a few folks that help us stay on the air today. Let me mention the Derby Church of Christ. Larry Scarth is a minister there, a great fellow. And down in Wellington has a great Church of Christ that uh, support this program. And we like to thank them for their support and for uh, thinking and studying about the Bible a lot like we do on this program. So if you're looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed in Derby or Wellington. If you know one of the members of one of those congregations, Tell them, hey, I heard you mentioned on Know Your Bible the other day. I appreciate that program. So add your thanks to ours. All right. A person is asking a question about obedience. What exactly does obedience mean, and how do I be obedient? I really want to be truly obedient to God. Well, first of all, God bless you for that. I think that's what Jesus wants you to do, wants me to do, wants all of us to be obedient. And uh, very simply, obey simply means obeying God, doing exactly uh, what God wants immediately and cheerfully as soon as we become aware of what we should do. Uh, you, we obey uh, as a matter of responding to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We are obedient to Him to become a Christian. And as we are in Christ, we're obedient to Him to remain a Christian. If you wanted to look into more of that, read Romans chapter 6 on how to become a Christian. Romans chapter 12 is a good way uh, to think about remaining and being a Christian, being an living an obedient life. I'll say one more thing, that obedience is a learned skill. We learn it as we go along, um, and hopefully we learn to do it, but sometimes we learn obedience by being disobedient, paying the consequences, suffering the consequences, and then realizing we should have done it God's way in the first place. We don't. God doesn't want us to learn it that way, but uh, being obedient simply means to bend our will to His will. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, Keep my commands. He was pretty clear on what that meant. So hope that uh, explains obedience just a little bit. All right. Viewer wants a verse. Where does it say ashes to ashes and dust to dust? It does not say that in the Bible, but uh, here's as close as I can get. Genesis 3.19 says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. So God mentioned that at the beginning, but it doesn't say that whole phrase. Now, it is in, if you want to know where it says it, it's in the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. Uh, we therefore commit his body, this is a funeral service, commit his body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So it does say that, and a lot of people use that uh, phraseology at a funeral and so we've become familiar with it, but the whole phrase is not in the Bible. 
Uh, the Bible does talk about us returning to dust, but not ashes to ashes and dust to dust. How did Rahab identify her house for the army is our trivia question today. She hung a red cord out the window so the army could see it. I'm glad you've been with us today and hope you come back. Have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.